0: once again to Progressive News Network's Poets of the East. Poets of the East brings you voices of poets from Eastern Europe, from Asia, from Europe, but the important thing is you get to hear the voices of poets speaking their truth, telling their stories, sharing their innermost thoughts, and we know you're really going to appreciate these. These are amazing poets. But before we get into tonight's poets, I want to bring you my co-host, my associate producer, Mr. Misha Danduta, who comes to us from Budapest. Misha, welcome.
1: Thank you very much. Good evening. Uh, Actually, I'm coming from Bucharest. It's uh, some... uh, 800 kilometers east of Budapest, but nevertheless, east of the east. And, me.
2: <laughs>
1: and you are right, Rick. You are right. Anywhere we are on the earth, there is something east of us, and that point, that eastern point, must, and it contains a lot of poetry. Therefore, Poets of the East, this marvelous series you came with, that came with the idea of uh, and you produce every uh, every, um, every week is actually uh, tells the story of poets in the world. And today, tonight, here in Eastern Europe, in Central Europe, and to in Tennessee, in the United States, we really have four wonderful poets, each of them having their own East, that means their own creation, their own creation realm, their own thematics, and last but not least, their own fight. Because each of them, they are poets and fighters, fighters for just reasons, fighters for causes that uh, for which they are uh, appreciated and admired, not only as creatures, but also as uh, uh, but also as uh, fighters on social and, if necessary, also on political, uh, on political field. So you ha- we have actually uh, star- We have uh, poets from Great Britain. We have poets from uh, Ireland, Northern Ireland, actually, uh, South Africa. Uh, so a very, very large, a very large, uh, a very large uh, area. Um And uh, I would, uh, in order not to talk too long, I would exemplify uh, when I was talking about their fight, about their convincings, and uh, about their social and sometimes political courage. I would mention, for instance, uh, the courage of Bilquis Mula uh, to uh, create and to describe in her poems uh, problems as racism in. South Africa and uh, uh, and uh, uh, the the relations between people in this uh, this part of the world uh, as she was translated into languages from Hindi in India of course to French uh, to French in France and to Polish to Polish um the, the her ideas have been uh, agreed and admired and commented also in those uh, in those countries, we have also the very uh, the very strong um, the very strong movement and fight of uh, Rora Thomas, uh, which uh, uh, which uh, uh, has to which tackles also the social in, uh, inequality and uh, the rights of the poets uh, from social point of view, but in the same time encouraging the uh, not so official. Uh, poetic scene of uh, uh, the spoken word or, uh, or performance because always the poets being uh, the poets belonging to uh, this, uh, uh, be- practicing this form of art were usually underground when were undiscovered and also wanting it or not revolutionaries which wanted to change the world and to create uh, better conditions, and we have also uh, that wonderful cabin, uh, um poet, that uh, uh, poet whose uh, uh, criticism, actually poet, proseist, novelist, and also playwright, uh, which uh, uh, had the courage of tackling the system of the state, uh, encouraged state found state funded. Uh, funded art, which he uh, claims is uh, actually a kind of attack to the independent artist. So, a constellation of great artists. Let, let us not forget about also about Rebecca Low, uh, which is also a lawyer, an excellent lawyer and a very uh, and a very talented poet. In short, an excellent constellation of artists and uh, fighters on social team on social field. And political field uh, you uh, brought together uh, for this afternoon in the United States, this evening here in uh, Central and uh, uh, and Eastern Europe. I'm sure everybody is very curious and looking forward to listen to their uh, to their creation, the way you prepared it.
0: Thank you so very much, Misha. Uh, as always, just thorough and enlightening. Uh, whenever you speak, you're you're a real joy to have on the show, my brother. Let us go ahead and begin with Rhoda, Part one. Ladies and gentlemen, I have the great pleasure of bringing not only a fine poet, but a fine humanitarian, a woman who has stood up for human rights, for liberty, for freedom, for equality. And I'm prepared to guess probably against a war or two in her her brief time here on the planet. (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen, Rhoda Thomas. Welcome Rhoda. How are you today? I'm
3: fine, thank you. It's very nice to be here, all the way from Swansea in Wales in the UK.
0: Well, you know, I have some very fine friends in Swansea, in in Wales, and it's such a pleasure to welcome you, another one of the fine people from Wales. I, I, I'm thinking uh, over the years, I've met so many nice people from Wales. I'm thinking, okay, once you get to the outer edges of the UK, it really gets good.
3: <laughs> I, I grew up in London and um, I've lived in Wales for 40 years. But oh, I, grew, I, you know, I, newcomer, like Wales. Huh? I like Wales, it's kind of wild and you know, a lot freer than
0: life on the southeast of of Britain I bet I bet well you know Rhoda I I, want to talk to you about your poetry that's a very important part of what we want to talk about but I also uh, I have been what I'm going to call a political poet my whole life I I I started writing political scry- screeds, uh, political poetry, satirical, uh, poking fun at the the bad guys for since the Vietnam War days. That, that's when I started. And uh, it's it's been a long, strange road. And I have noticed over the years, and you know, I've been involved with a lot of different poetry groups, and too damn often I find that I'm the only one going, you know, there's been too many damn wars, you know? I mean maybe we don't need all these atomic weapons maybe maybe we should treat each other like we're all human beings so much poetry and I I don't really mean to slag it but there's just so much introspective stuff that when I find someone who addresses societal issues who addresses issues of war and peace of common humanity that, that lights me up so my dear As a special poet, tell me a little bit about how you got interested in caring enough about the world, you know, noticing what's going on in the world, that you wanted to try to do your part to try to make it better. How how did your activism begin?
3: Um, I think from teenage years, um, not so much that I was active, but, well, no, I was actually, of course I was. But because... I mean, reading helped a lot. I was reading a lot of American uh, material, and particularly um, through the second wave feminism. And I was reading all the people, Gloria Steinem, and Kate um, Millett, and Sheila Miss Firestone, and all those people. Um, and that was very inspiring. And novelists, I was you know, reading Balzac, and Flaubert, and Dostoevsky, uh, all stuff uh, of I mean,
0: Good <laughs> stuff. Good stuff. <laughs>
3: I mean, I hastened to add, I didn't get this on my home background. I I I met um, you know some very interesting people when I was doing my A levels and at college, and and that started me, changed my reading, and uh, I think that opened me up. But my family, my mother was involved with the. the conservative party what we call here the tories mm-hmm. and she was a i mean she wasn't very active but she was a she was a good secretary and she did the minutes for their meetings and i got involved initially at 15 wow. with the young conservatives and uh-huh. i got some training in public speaking and things and then when i went to college of course i was up against Everybody else was on the left and, um, you know, I was called a fascist pig for quite a while at age 16 and I got elected very quickly to being um, on the union executive and um, I sort of, I don't know, I just changed over. I had a bit of a crisis really in in the battles and, and of course, all the reading I was doing and it started changing my views and I started, eventually my mother accepted, I think, that I was drifting away from her in my thinking Mm -hmm. and... um, and so student politics was, was one of the things and um and then i got work my mother worked in fleet street in our newspapers and oh wow she uh, got me a ticket into the union because it was a closed shop union nat sofa in london uh-huh. and i worked on dreadful you know the news of the world I oh yeah things. oh yeah and and i worked on the and then i worked for a long time on this on the times and um While I was there, you know, there was some industrial action and I I had my job through the union and, um, you know, the secretaries, you know, were putting a big battle about um, pay. And, uh, you know, I had to stand up, I was asked to cover and things like that, and mm-hmm. all of my own, I sort of said to this big boss, you know, I'm still very young, you know, um, no, I won't cover, you know, and he said, well, you know, please, you know, and I said, well, I can't, you know, I believe in fighting for the secretary's pay. And eventually, the Times was closed for 18 months. I mean, the, the battle did carry on. I, I left and went to university, but, um you know, I suppose those are early beginnings and then when I was at university I, again I got into women's politics and ran a lot of feminist
0: workshops I mean, and Let me like ask that. you a question hmm. I have always been puzzled Why is it How, how could women, women still have such a raw deal here in this century I mean everyone so far is raised by a mother Everyone has grandmothers. Everyone has daughters and wives. I, I find it appalling that women are still having to struggle for equal pay, equal access, equal rights, that it's still considered a phenomena when a woman rises in power politics. Um, how, do you, how, how do you think we got away with it so long? How, how have men cornered the market on real power and and kept women away and and been allowed that these days that pay equity is still so rotten it's just it's appalling it really is yeah. what, okay maybe the better question is how do we move toward a more equitable situation you're, mm-hmm. you're a thoughtful person obviously you've seen you know with with some Tory roots you've seen the other arguments you've heard the other arguments Mm. What what you thought?
3: Well, I mean, again, my views I think started from the family where they thought that although I was the eldest child, that my brother was the important one and had the family name and everything. I mean we were a very ordinary family, but sure, there was a family sure, name. Sure, sure. But um I mean interestingly somebody showed me yesterday a, a government um thing about staying home and keeping everybody safe a piece of propaganda from the government on Facebook yesterday and all the pictures were of women ironing, cooking, looking after the children. And and the suggestion at the moment is that, you know, that the real damage of the pandemic, certainly in countries like the UK and perhaps America, you know, is is to women's rights yet again, that it is women's jobs in the retail and the hospitality sector that are going, you know, with all the close downs and lockdowns and so on, um, women who are having to do the home Education, while the scores are closed, and damaging their own work opportunities, right. and and so on. So the fights are going to have to sort of, well, not begin again, but you know, it's, it's back to fighting again from a lower point where we had already uh, reached. So, um, I mean, when you say, what are we going to do? In fact, in, in one of my poems, I've got, um, I, I talk about the, the big, the fantastic women's marches in America. When I mean, the point about Trump is that actually he did also, as well as mobilizing his own side, he mobilized masses of people on the left. And the women's marches, the week he came in, in that January, around the world were just phenomenal.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely.
3: Some, you know, you a know, socialist who believes that people have to do this on the streets up. And so uh, protest and pressure is one of the things. And of course, I mean, I'm an educational or was, and you know, for people to understand the dynamics, women, I mean, some women, you talked about mothers, of course women are caught in situations that structurally oppress them anyway. So unless they understand how to crack open the systems that are oppressing them, they're just going to repeat them with their own children. It's true.
0: I, I've had some experiences that have jarred my own complacency. Uh, One of the first ones was when I was very young, uh, probably eight or nine years old. I've always just loved history. I I read history just for fun. I mean, it's my idea of a good time. I crack a book. And I was reading a book. Here I am, uh, the early 60s, you know, I'm a young kid, sitting at my grandmother's house, and I read that you know, women got the right to vote in the 20s. And I happened to be sitting in a room where the picture of my grandmother and grandfather getting married was right there on the mantelpiece, right? And I said to myself, well, wait a minute. She was a young woman born in 1911. She was in her 20s when the, the, the rights came for voting. I thought, my God, that must have been amazing, you know, to be among those first women to cast a vote, you know, to throw the male... Hierarchy aside, so I turned to my grandmother and said, "Oh, my god, grandmother, what was that like the first time you voted? You know, with with women's rights finally, you know, coming and, and of course, I, I was naive enough to assume that it really, you know, the door is open." Uh, but she said, "You know, Richard, I've never voted. I've never felt that I knew enough that I was educated enough to to I've, I've never voted." And I was so stunned. Because I knew this woman as a resourceful, hardworking, good part of her community, a person who was dedicated to her, her town and her church. And I thought, if this woman with those kind of values, with that kind of care, still feels locked out, that's horrible. That's that's awful. And I, and I tried in my own little eight, ten-year-old way to say, please, Grandma, you know, vote. My God, look at the idiots in charge of this world. You can make a contribution. And then, years later, when my own children were in school, um, I, I tried, as, as many of us do, to, to augment the resources of the school. And I happened to be in the entertainment business at the time, so I brought in some films. I had a film of uh, Tibetan monks, Singing and dancing. I had uh, uh, all kinds of performance videos and I, I had asked the teacher in advance I said, you know, can I bring this in? Would this be interesting or welcome? And she said oh yeah, sure, sure. But I, I sensed kind of a little resistance you know, like you're coming into my turf you know, you're disturbing me. And I didn't want to do that I only wanted to do it if it was okay with her, if it was really seen as a as a good thing. So making arrangements, I bring the video in, and the woman, this is this is uh, what we call a gifted class over here where it's theoretically for the brighter kids who are more resourceful, more of intellectual uh, engagement and have obviously more toys uh, to, to engage their intellects. And so I brought it in and I said, you know, Mrs, whoever her name was, I said, you know, uh, should I go put the video on, or do you want me to give it to one of the kids so that they can feel empowered and engaged and, you know, go put the videotape in the machine? Not quite sure of, you know, the political dynamic there. So she said, oh, just give it to one of the kids. And I said, oh, okay. So there was a young girl passing by, and this is, again, probably sixth or seventh, no, seventh or eighth grade in early 80s. So I hand a young girl who happened to be walking by a video cassette, and there's the TV and the cassette player in the front of the classroom. The teacher runs all the way across the room, snatches the video cassette out of the girl's hand and said, Mr. Spizak, little girls don't do technical things. Boys do technical things. And I thought, if this is what the advanced class is like, if this is what the gifted program is, I was... I was absolutely stunned because I thought we'd been further along.
3: Well, I mean, I think some good things are happening. I mean, I think, I mean, it's a small thing that's not really that good, but I believe they're, you know, changing the Barbie dolls and things are they're more active and they're different races. And so, you know, everywhere is trying to, you know, but the point is, I suppose, from the way that I think of it, society um, benefits from when I say society, governments, the power brokers, and so on, they benefit from women's subjugation in the sense that, and you're seeing it with the pandemic, that women do a massive amount of free work. You know, we and you know, I was one in Britain, our pensions were delayed by seven years. Um, and and yet it was my you know, later age group, women in their 50s and 60s, who do. You know masses of looking after elderly relatives looking after partners, sick and disabled people, uh, children, and so on and the government doesn't really want to pay for all that so you know, all that free labor and the emotional labor that people bring to their jobs. And and some people, when they, you know, have been protesting, say, well, we're going to hold back on the emotional labor because we just do what the minimum. But women, you know, give such a lot that is sometimes, well, often unrecognized, but more particularly. I mean, for example, in their 60s and 70s, there were things like wages for housework campaigns and so on. I mean, you know, all that gets done. Women do, women's, Liberation also resulted in or being twisted back on them because women now go to work and still do a lot of their cooking, ironing, getting the children doing, getting the children to bed, and helping them with their homework and things on top, and are absolutely exhausted. Yeah. Um, so it doesn't suit the government really. The reality is they don't really want full um, women's um, equality.
0: Yeah. Well, that all being said some of us are still doing what we can to, uh, raise consciousness, organize, uh, speak out. And this is invaluable wisdom to me. Um, I, I believe that for, for centuries and, and millennia, uh, the wisdom of storytellers, the wisdom of poets has been a leading force, uh, a torch toward freedom, toward liberty. And, uh, when I had the good fortune to read with that group of those fine live poets and I heard all that wonderful political and socially conscious work, I just said, man, I'm, I'm home. This is, this is good stuff. I, I could stand a lot of this. I, uh, I, I just felt so lucky to hear such strong work and such thoughtful work. So I said to myself, well, I need to invite some of these fine poets to speak, to share their heart, to share their wisdom, and you're one of the first people I wanted to invite. So I was wondering if you wouldn't mind sharing a few of your poems.
3: That would be lovely.
0: So if you want to introduce it and tell us what it's about, or or maybe you're the kind of poet that says, listen. Darn it, and you'll figure it out. <laughs> well, whatever your pleasure is, my dear.
3: Okay. Well, I'll introduce these two, because these both say something about... Um, oh, one thing I just wanted to say, the, um, in in one of the poems, there's the F word. Does, does that matter on here, or should I just Not say
0: Not at all. Please okay, speak Good. freely.
3: <laughs> that's the least I might say. But um, both these poems, I think, have something about... Um, Women's, um, women's voice and women's uh, role in, in having to keep quiet about things and, and <laughs> silencing of women. Sure. So the first one I think I wrote for on International Women's Day one time and it's a sort of slightly abstract one but you know you get the idea because I'm, I am very conscious of you know, the terrible things that happen, you know, to women around the world. For example, you know, the the rape and torture of women in war and so on. And they say that women actually suffer far more in war than the number of male soldiers who are killed. And women who even abused within the army, you know, and so on. Anyway, that's, here's one. This is called Blue Sky. My heart breaks when I hear your story, the weeping in the night, the screaming in the night. All over the world I hear your cry. See the trickle of your tears and know the searing of your soul. My cry, my tears, my soul. It's in their eyes, the malice of those who seek to justify attempts to subdue your spirit in words and spittle and phlegm and bile and though your lips are silent you are not quiet and though you lie down your hymen resists and though you acquiesce with smiles your glance is subversive and though you answer to a new name you know who you are and though they force you to fight your dreams are a flight no matter what they do that's wrong your mind holds on your spirit is strong and when the day of freedom comes you won't hold back from speaking out you'll wipe the smirk from their lips you'll no longer be afraid to shout you'll take the stories to streets and townships you'll set the truth free and destroy every lie and as you smash their fragile authority you'll see with all clarity oh yes the blue blue sky Oh,
0: that one oh that's lovely lovely (laughs)
3: I've got one that's not quite so lovely.
0: <laughs> that's okay. Listen, you know, you don't go to poets for pretty words. You go to poets for the truth. That's, that's why I go. Well,
3: this one, you'll recognize also the contemporary um, resonance in this one as well. In the, some of my poems have kind of different levels, I'm glad to say. So this is called, I think you'll pick up what I'm in. Mean. It's called A Boulder Has Rolled Over the Cliff Edge. And now the weight of it all has lifted. A giant boulder has rolled over the cliff edge and smashed into jagged pieces, water eddying round each one. And you lying there on the floor. And when they came, I kept trying to clear up the mess underneath your body as if when they lifted your poor worn shape and carried it out of the door, they might suddenly see all the foul words you had used and all the reluctant conjugal duties demanded. I got on my knees and scrubbed away every drop of piss and blood around a silhouette shadow left behind. And they danced all along the shoreline and wore costumes and masks because by then there was a plague abroad. And I might have wished for those thousands of women to be back on the streets. Women refugees, women mothers, women for abortion rights, women students, women workers, older women, black women, poor women, comfortably off women, gay women, trans women, teachers, saleswomen, amnesty women, survivor women, Jewish women, nurses, daughters, precursors of Me Too, women in woolly pussy hats, women in veils women for justice. But no one's allowed to march today because of the plague. I wander along the beach alone, letting salty, effluent water ripple between my toes. I turn over a piece of broken rock in my calloused hand, tangible, too much like cold, hard toffee to bite that I can't can't bite into. Pieces of this shattered rock, scattered all along the coastline, bits of you will be seized upon by thousands of hands and banged against the limestone wall, smashed into smithereens, and in some cases, fragments will be pocketed for pebble collection. Yes, I was on my knees, cleaning up where blood had dribbled from your nose and lips and urine had seeped out from your trousers. I had to do it before it was taken as evidence of my failure to keep a tidy house, to keep all the secrets. Your crude epithets contained in my penciled eyebrow arches, your menacing swagger concealed in my carefully applied lip gloss, your casual indifference to suffering, covered up by crisp white tablecloths and fresh flowers, and much, much more. I'll put the piece of rock on the mantelpiece. You were rolled over the cliff top by hands other than mine, but the ghosts of the women are dancing all along the shoreline. They are fucking dancing. And now I think I might join them.
0: Beautiful, beautiful, powerful. Thank you. (laughs) Very, very strong work just very strong, very strong. Well, that's the end of part one of Rhoda. Before we go to part two, I do want to play you a poem by Bilkis Mula, who Misha told you a little bit about before. Uh, I do want to mention that she's a senior education specialist at the Mumpalanga Department of Education. Uh, Mumpalanga, she told me, means the province of the rising sun. It's a province that lies to the east of the country, most famously known for its Kruger National Park where much game is is preserved and kept alive. So this is a poem of hers called Afghan Girl by Bilkis Mula.
4: Afghan girl, the elegy of a refugee. From fruit and the petals of flowers, drops of liquid, an expression of love from lips of Pashtun parents who named their daughter Sharbat, the sweet syrup of Asia. The mountains of Afghanistan heaved with sorrow. Her syrup curdled in the blood of mangled lips and rotting corpses flesh torn on the killing fields of greed when an orphan was born as refugee. Ill-fated to conquest power, ghosts retrieved from the debris of death, shudder from the shock of artillery as shrieks of horror collapse to anonymity. Unceremonious, on tombstones of rubble. Sherbet bewitched him with her marine green eyes, the photographer who flashed her searing accusation to the world, indelibly haunted by Afghan girl, the cover girl with no poise, pout or portfolio. Her mystique is unveiled beneath the smear of red, in eyes that claw the feral animal, with nothing but life to sustain her dead soul.
0: And that was Vilkas Mullah's Afghan Girl. And now we return to Rhoda for part two, Rhoda Thomas from Swansea. You know, the wisdom of poets has been such a guiding light to our world. And uh, whenever I see that light so bright, it, just, it gives me hope, I'll tell you. With all the idiocy around, with all the lies and mendacity and, you know, not just casual cruelty, but enthusiastic cruelty. A voice like yours, the voice of a poet, speaking truth, that gives me hope. It really does. Thank you. Yeah. yeah.
3: I mean, in Swansea, we started up, my partner and I, we started up uh, Live Poets uh, because we saw, we, we were going to, uh, I mean, I only started writing poetry about five years ago, and we were, you know, I started going to poetry groups, but we felt the need for, we didn't always feel it was the right place, or I don't know what it was, we just felt we could do more with political poetry, to give a space where things were more political, and that encouraged people to come, I think, who... Um, you know, might not have otherwise. I think, let's right, right. and we started to see the power of poetry as a political force. And when people say, you know, am I a poet, you know, and an activist? I, I say, well, actually, poetry now is my activism, really. Um, and we run workshops as well, and we encourage people to think about, you know, what you're trying to do with your political poetry, and. You know i'm sort of becoming aware of the different kinds of political poetry for example you know some can be very sort of um uh, polemical let's say you know and and they are needed i mean sometimes before the pandemic anyway you know i went to lots of you know vigils and protests in the square in in our in our town and so on and sometimes read a poem and you're wanting to encourage people you know to get involved or it might be a poem for a for a particular event you know a terrible you know shooting or um you know at the moment we've got i haven't written a poem about it yet but you know we've got a lot of um asylum seekers are being kept in in horrible um, you know, old army camps in, in, in Britain and, you know, we have a hostile environment. And, you know, there might be specific things that we want to write a poem about politically for a campaign. But, you know, some of my work is also, I'm, my background in psychology and psychotherapy and so on, is to fuse the personal with the political. So I think there are lots of different purposes and kinds of poetry. And some people favour one more than another, and some people write different things for different events.
0: Well, um, if I may share uh, one of my favorite political poems with you, um, <laughs> it is, uh, it's, it's one of those and uh, it's, it's one of those that I, I tried to uh, I tried to say a little something that uh, I, I'm a big fan of humor in poetry. I, I think it, it helps. <laughs> Uh, especially when you got to say some pretty, pretty strong stuff. So let me share this one with you. I think you'll get a kick out of it. Uh, between the kings of Saudi oil, who shall and Exxon dare not despoil, and those of Wall Street's fiscal toil, where betting against the working man guarantees a stock's demand. And Desert princes with generous eye Holds courts in tents With gas station cards Shall pay the rent Does the oily hand of G.H.'s show The old CIA man still in control? Pass the ID cards, not a fakin' This way from two American icons shaken Your face will now be pre-recorded And all your flights will now be boarded Arm the pilots, the stewardess too Next to the pillow and the barf bags, fun all passengers now will be given guns ah for a shootout in the airy blue Ah, oh what just a day can do i picture the stewie tray in her hand confronted by the wanted man tosses the tray into his face spins on her arm and kicks him trace he rolls across the cart to a boy scout troop who truss him up and steal his boots his arms behind his back now tied and bounce him over to the choir side who pummel pillage then retire and all who watched were inspired then a group of civitan asked for a few fingers from his hand and a brownie troop wanted his bushy beard oh you should have heard the things i heard then an old monk a jesuit gave him twice a goodly kick and the secretary gets him with her bick. Though the pilot and co-pilot were vying for priority, they submitted their decision to the vote of the majority. Some wanted to toss him right out the door, but a cloister of nuns still wanted some fun. They dragged him back to the airplane's tail, and a rugby team ran him back to the gale. Up to the galley, where they banged his head two or three times on the oven's lid, a group of congressional aides in first class pulled every hair from out of his ass a covey of comedians dove right in with a left and a right to his nose and his chin and a group of traders down from Duluth pushed him and mashed him into the roof some ceiling tiles in the overhead bin broke when they tried to stuff him in but let this be remembered and never forget, don't ever wait till your library book's late yes, yes very powerful really
3: I'm I'm a, a great fan of um, Caroline Fourche. Do you know the poetry of witness? Uh uh-huh. And And um, you know some of the terrible things that are, are done in the name of torture and and so on. And is that one the Colonel? You know, with, and he gets throws all the ears that have been cut off onto the table.
0: Yeah, yeah. I um I, I would like to share one more with you. This is a, a kind of a vintage one. It was written quite some time ago. But it, it it still unfortunately still stands quite quite readily. It's called uh, one one of my friends who said, "You know, Rick, you're such a positive person. Why do you write such nasty, dark political poetry?" And I said, "Well, besides the fact that we live in nasty political times, um, I, I I do take your point, and I will try to do a little better next time, and I'll, I'll try to share a little something that's a little more uplifting." So I wrote this. This is to that challenge of be more positive, it's called Non-Disposable World. Picture it, a world without thermonuclear overkill. Bomb lost its thrill? It will, it will. Picture it, a world after all the bombs are gone. Too far, Mon? Bomb lost its thrill? It will, it will. Picture it, a world not holding its breath at the edge of death, the toxic waste, the chemical taste of food. In money, only good. Bomb lost its thrill. It will. It will. Picture it. No mad generals with pointing digit poise. Ears pinned filled with noise of shouts of doubts. Bomb lost its thrill. It will. It will. Picture it. A world after the end of biological weapons that fools would send, threaten. Bomb lost its thrill. It will. It will. Picture it. No fanatic, dramatic, climactic climate war No inversions or floods or earthquake cone crunch Too much heat then or dry No clouds in the sky No rain with lunch Bomb lost its thrill It will It will <laughs> Picture it No ray guns in space No thistly whistly missiles To bless the stratosphere torn Or hot heads wind down Burn after space war For thought. It had meant quite a lot. Bomb lost its thrill? It will. It will. Picture it. The bomb's gone. The missile dismissal. The sub decommissioned. No reactors out fishing. Picture it. The control board's turned off. Did I hear a scoff? Bomb lost its thrill. It will. It will. Very good. Thanks. Very good. You know one of the first inspirations that i had for political protest was watching those marvelous anti-nuke marches with Bertram Bert Russell back in the early 60s i just thought you know just as i was just a very very young child but i thought man that makes sense you know what the hell are we doing in this world with all those explosive weapons world destroyers how can we do that what mad men. but enough about me how about another one or two from you
3: okay well I think I mean I agree with you I think humor is, is important but, you know sometimes to lighten it all I've got a, a couple that um, might come into that category But not some of my material is very
0: dark I see if I can find it before. nothing wrong with that sometimes it, you know how else do we appreciate the light Well, I think if one's trying to reach people, as I am,
3: then, um, you know, there's various ways to reach people, aren't there? And um, humour is is one of them, yeah. Um, You know, and in the lines of of one or two of of the poems you've been reading, um, perhaps in Britain, you know, there's been you know, cases of the undercover police, you know, making relationships with women, sometimes marrying them, or if they haven't married them, having children with them and so on. So it made me write this, it's called Spy Cop. Oh! You're a spy cop. In fact, you're THE spy cop in the group. No, I'm not. What makes you think that? Well, you're always hanging back, not clear you want to be involved. Well, I'm still learning. I don't have your confidence or experience and you're always saying stupid things. They're not stupid, I have doubts. Aren't I allowed to question orthodoxies? And you're always the most enthusiastic one, egging us on to the most dramatic activities. Well, make your mind up. Do I hang back or am I in the driving seat? They always send the most intelligent ones. Oh, so now being bright is an indictable offence as if You probably didn't actually go on the anti-war march. You probably just watched videos, learning which faces to pick out. That's how you got to know us so quickly. And you take a lot of pictures of us all, don't you? I put them all on Facebook. I thought you wanted publicity. And you're always keen to go on the paper sales. Who are you really after? So that's a bad thing now, is it? It's cause for suspicion. And you're not really interested in my other non-political friends, are you? Well, neither are you, really. You endear yourself to us with your helpfulness, doing the driving, bringing the trestle tables, following the social media. Oh, I knew that was a mistake. And you're never worried about money, are you? About your job. Well, I've got good qualifications. I know what I'm doing. And you're very good at encryption and file shredding, aren't you? I'm an IT specialist. You eradicate the past a bit too easily. Is that why you've got no such of your childhood? I explained that. Oh, yes. The estrangement from the family. Very convenient. Well, that's a bit harsh. You were a bit of a loner when I met you, weren't you? If you mean I hadn't rushed into a rebound relationship after the divorce, well, that's true. Perhaps you're still married to her, really. Maybe you've never really loved me. Perhaps the sex is just to get to the pillow talk. This is ridiculous. Do they teach you that? How to snuggle up, look into eyes, say you've never known anyone quite like me before, hold my hand when we go shopping to signal I trust you? How do I know when I look at you, when I touch you, when I stroke your hair, if any of it is true, if any of it is true?
0: Wow, good stuff. Good stuff. Yeah, I was. Uh, I, I've been, by and large, very disappointed in most of the environmental folks that I've met in the groups. There's a a, a great degree of socialization and not a lot of not a lot of action. But I went to a group. There, there's a group that's widely known as a real activist group uh, called Earth First. And a friend of mine, a poet said she was having her first meeting would I want to come because she takes me as a very serious person so I go and at this meeting one guy one one particular fellow is extreme we need to shoot no first first he said I know where the re, the uh, yacht for the head of the local power company is and I think what we need to do is blow up his yacht. And everybody else had been talking about, you know, real political action. And this guy is talking about blowing up people's yachts. And I got My antenna went up and I pulled my friend aside and I said, hey, wait a minute. Either this guy is is actually insane, which is entirely possible, or he's here. For the other reason, he's here to arrest us all and get incriminating information. Because if we buy into his plan, I said, I'll tell you right now, I love you and I trust you. That guy, I will not be around. She said, well, you know, it's funny you should say that because whenever we do an action, he's always got a mask on. And I go, (laughs) Okay, everybody else is out front. Everybody else is open. We are who we are. No, no tricks, you know, nothing up my sleeve. But this guy's wearing a mask? I said, that's got to be a flag. And she said, well, you know, there was one other thing he did. We were on our way to protest in another town. And on the way there, he said we should start shooting the linemen who work on the electric power grid. And I said, okay, Taylor, away, If you ever invite this guy back again, you are stupid. And I know you're not stupid. I said, I'm leaving Go in peace. Do what you want. That guy, I am not going to be around that guy. That's, yeah. Yeah. You want to share one more, dear? Do you have time? Uh, yes, I've got
3: time. What else do we have? Um,
0: anything you desire. Anything you desire. How about even
3: if, I think, yeah. Um,
0: Thank you again so very much. This has been marvelous oh that's good
3: let me see here we are I mean some of my work is um in a way I think my whole life has been activism in the sense that I've always been teaching um and facilitating people to you know make make the most of their lives or overcome the obstacles or understand what's happening and why they're unhappy and and so on sure and in the poetry world I mean at the moment with with the pandemic has been Zoom has been marvelous it's opened up the international field. I'm meeting poets from all over the world. Um, but there's that little bit I know, about self esteem and competitiveness. I mean, I'm not necessarily trying to get anywhere, really. I mean, I, I self publish my own books and so on. But, um, you know, it's hard not to be intimidated sometimes, let's put it that way, by the wonderful people and all the fantastic prizes and awards and slam winners and book publishers and so on anyway so it's called even if even if no one's there to hear your poem even if you never win a prize even if you long for love and all you get are lies even if people look at you funny or worse stare right through you even if you miss the bus and want to cry and have no tissue even if you work your whole life long and don't even own your home even if you wanted a garden filled with birds and end up living by an aerodrome, even if your partner has a go, over drunk or just aggressive, even if you want to shout but can't be that expressive, even if you try to argue your case and people are strong and beat you down, even if you try to remember all you need and end up making extra trips to town, even if no one ever helps you and you have to do it all yourself, Even if the rain comes when out walking or you reach up to find there's nothing on the shelf. Even if it's hard to understand a lesson and hard to get a decent mark. Even if you invite people to a gathering but no one turns up to the park. Even if you lose your money or your phone. Even if your dog or cat gets ill. Even if it's hard to stay calm. Your mind is racing when you want to be still. Use that anger. Use that grief. You share the experience of the oppressed. You think it's your fault. No wonder you're depressed. Give yourself a prize. Give yourself some love. Make a garden on the shelf, colorful and green. Savor your words, your feelings, your thoughts. These are the truths that you at least have seen. Can't you see what's happening? Don't give up on hope even though there's little time. Speak out what you have to say. Say something amazing and aim for the sublime. Stay strong. Keep going. Live for today even when the cold is biting. Challenge inequality. Join with others and go down fighting.
0: Oh my god. Oh my god. (laughs) That was wonderful. That was, you know, the whole interview could be that one poem. That poem, just shouts thank you that is beautiful really beautiful thank you you. and so 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 good and so true you really said something marvelous there i i am (laughs) i may play that a couple times that that's (laughs) astounding I hope A,
3: li- A lifetime of feeling very small.
0: <laughs> well, my dear, you speak the truth of so many in that piece. You really, really do. And you know, it, it's so funny that you mention that because I was, I was the other day thinking. You know, it's so marvelous. Now, like you, I have met poets in France and in, in Central Europe and in Asia and and in more friends, new friends in in Britain, and. It's so marvelous. And and part of me is going, yeah, you know, and there's this little competitive thing. And, you know, this one got that notoriety and all that. And I went, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. But the beauty to me is meeting these hearts, meeting these minds. You, you gave me enough joy for a day. Thank you. Oh, Thank you
3: well, It was really nice to meet you And to come on this program And have a, a good chat with,
0: with you Fascinating to have a conversation Thank you so much Well, with, uh, if everything goes reasonably well It's going to be broadcast Starting this Saturday And it'll be up for months and months So thank you Rhonda, thank you it's, It was just a delight And I, I hope we can do this again sometime Brilliant, thank you Okay, you have time. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Uh, Misha, let me ask you a question, brother. Uh, I I wonder if that poem spoke to you as well.
1: Well, there is very much to be told. Um, First of all, I want to congratulate you for this initiative. I think this kind of poetry, of militant poetry, has to be known has to be uh, promoted in order for the people to know what they select, to know what they choose, to know and to find out that something like this exists, sometimes very close to them. This is one aspect, information. And this is a very important part of your job, and you are doing it really great. Thank you for this, and congratulations. The second th- the second aspect is that <coughs> sorry, as we were talking at the beginning, sometimes actually no not no not sometimes very often the underground uh, the underground dimensions of the artistic and uh, in particular literary creation uh, just because they are underground little by little, they connect with uh, this uh, revolutionary, um, militant, mainly left-wing oriented uh, kind of literature, and especially poetry, especially poetry because it is the most stimulating and the most dynamic, and uh, it is the one which is able to raise uh, hopes and to uh, make people... Move and fight and uh, and uh, come to new ideas the most. So this kind of literature, this kind of militant literature, and especially poetry, um, almost um, almost obligatory, compulsory, meets with these underground movements, with those movements not sustained by the state by the mainstream preferred kind of literature. And this, we are again on the field of uh, Kevin Kelly on this, uh, in the middle of his war against the official art or the officially sustained art. Uh, This is the reverse of the medal. If we have a mainstream, a commod mainstream um, sustained by the state And everywhere in the world, the art sustained by the state is the one which does not make any problems, the one which is acceptable for everybody, aesthetically irreproachable, socially not provocative, and so on, not challenging, and so on, and so on. Automatically, the other part, the opposite part, the ones which are the artists which are Searching for new methods, uh, new matters, your new ways of expression, they will get close. They will get close little by little. They will get close to this militant way of uh, thinking and of uh, making literature. A third aspect, which is very, very important, and you mention it, mention it in a very important moment. There is a very relative and hard to identify moment where being a militant, being a protester, risks into transforming you into an extremist. It was that guy uh, which was telling about shooting those people working for that company of putting a bomb, I I don't know where, uh, at the power plant, and so on your reaction was really great again because you pointed out very clear very clearly the difference between a militant between someone that has something to reproach to the society and wants to change something within that society and the extremist which is interested mainly in killing and not so much in really changing some in making something progressive in bringing something good to the society
4: what absolutely
1: I is that I'm coming just like the majority of the poets I'm trying to bring uh, into, uh, into this show from countries that 30 years ago still knew were still knewing a very tough uh, kind of dictatorship, a left-wing dictatorship A communist dictatorship, which was actually encouraging this kind of deeds. That means kill that one, put bombs there. The important thing is that we got to power. And then, yeah, we are are going to come with this with some ideas equality for everyone, rights for everyone. But until the end, history proved that the ones getting to power on the basis of crimes, of murderers, and of blood, installed a very even stronger dictatorship in the name of the ones they were, supposed to, they were supposed to be in the service of. So, actually, the consequences of that very extremist part of the left-wing militantism were, for almost 50 years, the socialist countries in Central and Eastern Europe Millions of people died because of this. Millions of people died because they were officially or unofficially against those regimes. Because they were only protesting peacefully. Because those regimes, which at that their time protested with blood, with crimes, with murderers, did not accept any kind of protest when getting to the power. Not even the peaceful ones. So we were in the situation in Central Europe, in Czech Republic, well, at that time Czechoslovakia, uh, Romania. Romania was actually the toughest dictatorship under after under Ceausescu. Um, Bulgaria, uh, Hungary, even Poland. All those countries knew this kind of dictatorship, and we were all fighting them. I repeat peacefully, and it was a historical chance for us that in 1989, uh, actually in 1984, uh, when Gorbachev came to power, a reforming wing of the Communist Party of the Soviet Union came to power and encouraged those reforms, encouraged this tendency, and therefore the transition towards democracy and the fall of the communist regimes was made without war, without arms, without fights, with the exception of Romania, once again, where a very bloody revolution costed us the lives of uh, more than 1,500 people.
0: Well, well that's, that's, those, are, those wonderful are wonderful points, points. and in and furtherance in of, that of that very idea, idea let, me, let bring me bring Mr.
2: But look, I'll read this out now. This is a completely different. This is the way I. This is the way I move my psyche around. I don't do. I don't dwell on anything for too long, you know. But um, this is a poem written by a French poet called Paul Valery. He's, uh, he's you know the way they have these accents. The, the way the Parisians—they're very good. For, learning French is difficult for people because you have to go back into you know almost medieval use of accents over letters. he's Paul Valery, and this is of a long poem he wrote about language because French poetry went very what you call ideological and abstract after a, a very very well known poet called Stefan Mallarmé whereby a poet is not just an um, absorbing material to write about nature or people or events or whatever the poem is meant to be but this you know the way language poetry arrives so this is one of the very early language uh, poems but at the end of his poem what I think is beautiful about it is he in a Grecian Roman you know Babylonian Manner, he sets up a god of language, but he puts it into the Judeo-Christian terms. Now, because we know we know our our, our Jewish friends, they don't have saints. That's that's a Roman. That's a that's a uh, Catholic-Protestant theology. But he being he he being you know Protestant-Catholic, and he makes language a saint. So I'll just give you his French word. It's a lovely thing, and then I'll read it. Honor, I'll I'll read the French. There might be people from New Orleans listening into your program. (laughs) Or Montreal, where they're very fussy about their French. Honor des hommes, saint langage. Discours, prophétiques parées. Belle chaîne qui s'engage. Le dieu dans la char égaré. Illumination, largesse. Voici parlé l'usager Parle. et son ancêtre Auguste Bois, qui se connaît quand elles sont détruits plus la voix de personnes tant que des ondes et des bois. You've heard of a place called Boise. You know that lovely story about Boise, Idaho, where the they're not pilgrims, I reckon. They're just, you know, what you call travellers. And they come along out of the awful plains and very little vegetation. And this French adventurer says, you know, Oh, voici les bois, look at the woods. <laughs> I find that amazing. It's the way they play and then suddenly that town. I remember just passing through that state people I said, What is this called Boy? boy's he mean? I said, What in the name of what the heck is but it's just it's kind of strange. It looks like a couple of other things. So then they explained it to me, I said, That is so funny that Debois got turned into I think up there they kind of call it like Boise, you know, Boise. So this is the translation. It's really only eight, eight very short lines. Saint language. Saint language in the highest. Grant us words of prophecy linked in a delicate chain. At what loss the rich divinity of insights. Goddess your wisdom. Please. Your beautiful voice sounding like no other through the ocean and the trees. That's my translation of it. Beautiful. Beautiful. But well, of course it comes see I have to I have to send him I, <laughs> I have to send them in the other worlds, his hundred dollars for taking us for stealing his poem. His ghost will be looking for me now. you're responsible, Rick. Well, that's okay. I think
0: the spreading of understanding, uh, the respect that you showed language by quoting this wonderful poet. And your fact that you can deliver it in both languages, I think that that is an admirable, admirable thing.
2: No, no, absolutely, no, no. He was, he was. I think what is interesting about the French um, that they write these like. Magn- intellectual essays that's why I, I don't know why he, he came across my bios as it were recently he, he's a poet who wrote about Leonardo da Vinci who's somebody, somebody that everyone is still exploring and then you take somebody like and I was just explaining to somebody the other day and writing something uh, I had to correct somebody, Rick, because they said that was a terrible now I'm not running down the person who said, That's a terrible thing, you know, that Vincent van Gogh, you know. He was he was crazy as a as a coot. He was he was mad as a mad as a march hare He was like a one legged owl up on a tree. So I said, Now look, I'm I'm so sorry. I said, I'm gonna to have to speak on behalf of Vincent van Gogh. I said, Vincent van Gogh did not Irrationally cut off his ear when you go into the explication of it he, remo- he removed his ear to try and help his girlfriend he thought they were i won't get into the medics of it because i'm not a medical doctor he did it as an act of kindness loving kindness to try and help her with a particular kind of medical condition and you know he did he did get to a, a physician himself and they did they did you know which is which is which he was making work for surgeons, of course. <laughs> but you know, when a couple would be so involved with in each other, you know, that they could get involved. But I, th- I was explaining that when the, when the lives of these poets and artists become publicized, you have to make sure that you don't give a cartoon version. You have to try and stick to the original data. You know, it's not, it's not a very, it's not a very, very good good concept. But then going to another guy, I mean. Anton Antonin Artaud, another French writer. He also deals with that subject sort of matter. He wrote a very gentle and perceptive essay about Van Gogh. I'm saying, look, come on, Van Gogh took some drink and he used to go down to the bar and he used to, you know, sing some songs and recite some poems. But you can't go running down his character. He's he's, he's probably no different than, than than you know than other people when they go out reveling. So that is the area I've been working on at the moment. This.
0: And that and was that Mr. Mr. Kev Kiley uh, giving, uh, giving, giving us the benefit, benefit of, uh, of uh, his, his erudition, erudition on French poetry. poetry. Uh, before, uh, before we go we into, go into to our, our next poet, poet uh, uh, Ms. 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 Rebecca, Rebecca Lowe, uh, I do want to share, share another, another one, one of Velka Smula's, Smula's amazing pieces. pieces. This, this one is, one is called New Beginnings.
4: New Beginnings. Light pours from the sun, falters through dark hearts of sordid memories, conflict, the pebbles and rocks of crushed dreams. It was the year when history begged for recovery, appealed for a vaccine, buried bodies stricken from a virus that showed no mercy for those afflicted, ransom to oxygen tanks and the struggle for breath in short bursts. Unemployment and paltry wages, the shutters of windows shut to commerce, ailing economies in the throes of lockdown. Dark clouds eyes in terror fear trapped behind masks the veneer of helplessness against the pandemic that held the world to a cage of imprisonment the solidarity of humanity clasped visions of fingers that allowed for no touch hugs and kisses forbidden from lives on the brink of the abnormal, sunlight poured light for hope to prevail in the midst of a storm that raged in corridors of hospitals where the dead were buried in plastic bags of no more. The year ends in a war of worry for a new beginning where compassion reverts selfishness to selflessness. Life pours from the sun for a new beginning, the entrance of light within hearts of forgiveness from the year when the transformation of humanity dripped tears of remorse from regret for words spoken and unspoken, actions harnessed for solidarity Charity and mercy for the birth of life ignited by rays of sunlight for the dissipation of hatred in the brief carriage of time when life and death collude for new beginnings.
0: And that, that was, was Ms. move. Moola. And now, and now, our, our third, third and final, final featuring toy. toy. Do you want, Do you say you want a to a say a word or two about Miss Rebecca Lowe? As we
1: actually know, she's the youngest among the great poets you invited for uh, tonight. Uh, nevertheless, she's uh, uh, quite known in, uh, the, uh, British, uh, in the British realm um, and uh, quite popular, I would say. Uh, for her open, um, um, aired, um, and uh, attractive uh, verse she, she uses. Uh, and um, due to these uh, features of uh, her poetry, which is uh, very accessible and uh, very easy to understand, even if uh, very beautiful and uh, very sensitive and uh, marked by very interesting and complex Metaphors. She was translated uh, even into languages very far away, in 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 uh, Indic languages, uh, in Chinese, if I'm not wrong, and uh, even in uh, in Filipino. So uh, quite a phenomenon, quite a thing to follow her evolution uh, in uh, her evolution uh, further after this uh, after the phases uh, the phase she is. She is. uh, uh, She is now. Uh, If I were to to mark to note one word uh, or to use one word for characterizing for describing um, her style, I I would I would I would name sensitivity or sensibility, which today is quite a rare feature.
0: Thank you you so much, my much, my brother. Always, Always you shine shine a a brilliant brilliant light on your analysis. Thank you. And now, Rebecca Love. I heard your work at uh, one of the the British things that I joined in, and I was very very much struck by it and thought you had a lovely voice and a a good sense of humor. And I wanted to invite you on the show to talk a little bit about yourself. And Mm -hmm. also to to read some of your poetry and to tell us also about your activism because that's all, you know, all part of it. And Uh I believe that poets have a kind of a really special responsibility. You know, we're here to kind of bring the magic back a little bit, uh, to, to take people from what they like to think of too often as their mundane world. You know mm-hmm. and and yeah. to remind them the magic to to say, "Yeah, all that's true, but you know there's also this wonder, there's also this mm-hmm. magic, and uh that to me is one of the real just powers of poetry,
5: yeah, absolutely, I think especially at the moment with lockdown as well, when so many things are closed and it's so easy to feel quite despairing, I think poetry and art and music are what have kept me going. And I think that's true for a lot of people. We're really realizing how important those things are in our lives as a way of just keeping momentum and keeping us, keeping us, Sane really. You know, Absolutely. I've definitely been more creative over lockdown, I think, than I've ever been.
0: Well, I think you know, we've had a lot of distractions removed.
5: <laughs> well, that's that's true as well, yes, I guess yeah. so. We're not <laughs>
0: racing around, we're not unfortunately not sitting with chums, but mm. but you know, we we are spending more time in a solitary or very limited uh, social environment. And for those of us who who feel compelled to write well, <laughs> it's it's been it's been inspiring. Mm-hmm. So tell me about yourself, Rebecca Lowe. Uh, you're you're a marvelous poet who I've had the chance to hear a couple times. Um, when uh, first, when did you start writing?
5: Um, I have been writing all my life, really, since I since I could put a pen to paper. I have wanted to write. Um, I grew. I was very fortunate. I grew up in rural Somerset. Um, surrounded by beautiful countryside. My parents used to read to me all the time.
0: Um, One
5: of my earliest memories is, because my brother's two years older than me, is of looking at a bookcase and wanting to read the books because I knew that he had this magic thing that I didn't and I wanted to know what was in them. Um, And so I started writing poetry really from the age of about seven. I had an amazing primary school teacher called Mrs. Baker, and she used to have us all marching around the room reciting Captain Beaky, which was a poem of those times, and uh, just having loads of fun playing with words. In fact, she was such a good teacher that when I got my book published, 40 years later, I managed to get hold of her on Facebook, and I sent her a copy of the book with a message saying, thank you for believing in the dreams of a small child, because I think teachers, are they don't realize how amazing they are, I think. <laughs>
0: well, that—that that is a wonderful story. I have a somewhat <laughs> similar one. Uh, I lived in a little town in Pennsylvania, and we had this marvelous library. It was to me a a castle of dreams. It was not only beauty on the outside, but there were just, it had been around for 60 years. Uh, In in America, that's just ancient. And and it was just so wonderful and so intoxicating a place. And and when I published my first book, I said, you know, I'm going to make sure that they get a copy. So I wrote the librarians there and I said, look, I spent so many hours in your wonderful library the least i can do is give you a copy of my book if you if you will accept it and they said absolutely absolutely send it so so i did and and uh-huh. i i asked one of the librarians if she wouldn't mind having her picture taken holding my book in that library that i loved so dearly <laughs> and she was kind enough oh, to do that great. so that's a real mm. special thing I, I really love what you're saying um, so like like many poets you were struck as a child that this is just a marvelous thing to do reading and writing so you know when you were starting writing um, you know a, a lot of times we're, we're doing this of beautiful things around us or people that we love and mm-hmm. all what, what were your po- first poems about?
5: My first poems were um, a lot about nature because uh-huh. I spent a lot of time outside outdoors, we had lots of pets, we had goats Dogs, ducks,
3: cats.
5: <laughs> um, so I, I I, was, you know, I spent a lot of time outside, so a lot of poems were about that. Um, I, I actually have, if you want to hear it, oh, one I absolutely of the very, very earliest poems, um, which I found in an old book. So um, I won't read all of it. It's called A Magic Touch. Oh, um, please. But what really struck me about this, reading it years later, is how much of it. Still kind of applies to the way I see the world Um anyway I'll just start from yeah it is a magic touch that makes the moon this is when I was seven by the way oh how it is a magic touch that makes the moon and makes the sky so clear and blue a magic touch makes all things equal and can put a stop to war a magic touch is always needed but is often hard to find where can you find a magic touch a magic touch is in you how nice yeah and i i was really struck by that reading it years later because um a lot of the beliefs in it the sort of connection of nature and the idea that we have this power within us to affect change um. And also the anti-war thing. All of that is still in me. So I think it's true what they say about, you know, show me the child at seven and I'll show you the man, or or woman in my case. And, yeah, I think a a lot of what I am now stems right back to that time. (laughs) Well,
0: you know, uh, one thing that... that I've always been sad about with non-poets is that often you'll hear from them and you say, hey, what's new? And what have you been doing? And they'll say, same old, same old. I've never heard a poet say that. There is not one poet in the world who is bored by life.
5: <laughs> yes. Yes. Well, there's so much to explore, isn't there? There's so much to to write about. I suppose when you're a poet, you can't help observing everything as well and seeing everything as a story.
2: You well, know. I, I mean have, my friends
5: cheese me, they say, um, oh you're not gonna put me in a poem. Come like uh, on, <laughs> uh, 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 <laughs> it. Everything is a poem.
0: <laughs> well I, I have I've a long evinced a theory that special things happen to writers and artists. That mm. part of it may be because we're ready for it. Part of it may be because we see the magic. And, and part of it is just that we're a lot more observant, I think, than people who, you know, walk through some gray day every day. It's just, uh, it's just hard to believe. And uh, I have seen so many amazing things living this life as an artist. Um, when clearly there's an intersection in your work and in many of us where uh, the social realities that we do live in, whether it be the school environment or the, the collegiate environment or the working world environment or the civic life beyond, um, they, they compel us to address it. When you first started writing your, I'm going to say, civic virtue poems, was this in school? Uh, Were you confronting some of that? Or or did did it wait a little bit and you started dealing with the world at large and, and the working conditions and civic strife?
5: I think they've come somewhat later. Not because I haven't always had those concerns, because ever since I can remember um i was brought up with those sorts of values as well you know i had a granddad who was a conscientious objector and oh, my family nice. from um, pacifists so that was always part of my background oh how nice um and i had a great great aunt who was the suffragette so again oh, that kind of equality um, and striving for, and, and, you know, being given permission as a woman to sort of come out and say, no, actually, you have a voice, and I, I demand better. So that was always in me, but I think it's only recently that I've had the, the courage, really, to share those sorts of poems. Um probably in the last few years really uh, partly through Live Poets as well which is a group that I'm involved with here in Swansea which you've also participated in some of their yes, yes. live Zooms I know and uh, they have been amazing um, in terms of just encouraging me to, to find a voice and and we're, it, we've got a really great poetic community here in Swansea as well which has been just wonderful for me it's been like a sort of homecoming I've lived here for must be about 20 years now and definitely feel like it's where I belong um and I think that helps you know because we all encourage each other um and support each other and we we have these amazing live open mics which I'm looking forward to getting back to the the physical open mics eventually
0: right uh, because the
5: atmosphere is just
0: Wonderful <laughs> well i'm I'm one of those poets that is, has written political stuff uh, for a long time. I, I I was a young teenager during the uh, beginning of the Vietnam War.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: And uh, because I had been fortunate enough to read a lot of history as a very, very young man, i I saw through the propaganda uh, very young. Yeah. and I started addressing that. And in the 60s, as I was growing up and into the early 70s, it was a really tumultuous time, and I, I felt, as a writer, uh, I could not be silent. I had to address these things. Yeah. So we had the Vietnam War. We had finally the the beginnings of a renaissance in in black life and and uh, the civic life, uh, finally becoming available to African Americans in this country. And I had read I've been I've been given books on anthropology as as just a, a seven and eight year old. I mean, <laughs> I had this marvelous uncle who turned me on to this stuff. So I had. A real profound cultural education as very young. So, my my writing and my political uh, diatribes and political poetry started very young, and I, I have such respect for poets who who dare to address social conditions. Mm-hmm. Um, in my experience as a young poet, reading it, you know different poetry groups. Very rarely were other poets addressing political and social concerns. It was a lot of, I mean, love poetry is wonderful. Goodness knows it's powerful stuff. And, and um, self-reflection is important. But to me, I think there's a real important role for poets in addressing civic matters.
5: Definitely. I, I think the, the personal and the political crossover anyway, don't or at least they do for me, Um, I can't be honest in myself if my politics doesn't come out I mean I never set out to be a political poet, I still probably don't class myself as one but at the moment there are so many issues, so many things to get angry about that I I can't not write about them as someone who writes, you know, as someone who wants to express myself Um, I write whatever makes me feel deeply and passionately and at the moment, there's a lot of things to feel about.
0: Um, I, I won't ask for a topic, but I will ask if you'll read a few of your pieces that that are important to you.
5: Okay. Um, now.
0: Yes. Yes. We could do it next week sometime, but. <laughs>
5: right i'm going to do this one because it actually touches on what you just talk uh, talked about about daring to speak out um this is actually my most recent poem that i wrote for holocaust memorial day Ah. um but it touches on what you said so i think i'll read this it's called how dare you speak how dare you speak of light in this the darkest of times how dare you speak of hope when six million bodies of murdered Jews lie piled in mass graves? How dare you pray when God seems absent? Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani? How dare you sing your songs when even the birds notice they silent? Here, where the mutilated skies lie, ashen gray, where barbed wire still rises, How dare you write poetry and tell stories? Yet here, here too, when the voices of intolerance rise and racial hatred, prejudice and division are all around, how dare you not speak? How dare you stay silent while others suffer? How dare you not hope when all around seems hopeless? How dare you not pray? when darkness reigns. You can search for answers in buildings or in books, or you can find the light within yourself to ignite change. You can sing the songs of freedom that batter down chains. You can hold hands across borders, across continents, across cultures and religions, standing in solidarity for the despised, persecuted and rejected. And you can say, never again. Not in my name, not in my name, never, never again. Bravo. Thank you. Bravo.
0: (laughs) Bravo. You know, there's so much, I think one of the things that I love most about poetry is that in a world where there's so much duplicity, where there's so much misdirection, so much marketing. (laughs) <laughs> the honest voice of a poet speaking with passion just, just I just find it so intoxicating that and and you know yourself when you're reading a piece you know there are pieces that you read for their for their beauty there's pieces that you read for the spell that they weave and then there's those poems like that one you just read where indignation where where Truth and justice just ring. That stuff. Oh my God. In this world, it's just it's just such a clarion call.
5: Mm. Yeah, and I think that's I think that's what we aim at as poets, isn't it? Is to have some connection with. I mean, it's a sort of magic, really, isn't it? That you oh, can reach across to other people in, in different countries, even across different languages, sometimes in different cultures, and find that piece of humanity that you share, that moment, that experience, which is universal. I think that's what we all hope to achieve, isn't it? And I think that's why I love poetry so much, actually, because of that universality
0: the uh, as, as you were saying there's so many important uh, issues um i write a lot of environmental stuff uh, i write a, a significant amount of what i would call political satire and uh, i i would like to share one of my poems with you uh it, it's it's one it's very unusual if i can find this one particular piece uh, because it, it draws a comparison, you know. As a as a card carrying hardcore progressive socialist, uh, I know where my politics lie. I know where my friends' politics lie, the people I hold dearest. But I try in this one poem, and I, I hope I can. I'll just take a minute to try to find it. I try to build a bridge, and I try to find a commonality between the conservative and the, and the liberal or progressive, because I think. There's, there is an important place where we are absolutely the same. Give me just one minute and let me see if I can find it real quick. Otherwise, I'll read you a political piece that I, th- I think you'll probably like. <laughs> it is so nice to talk to you.
5: <laughs> oh, that's great. I look forward to hearing your poem. <laughs> oh,
0: thanks, thanks. Okay, let's see here. Let's see there. No. Okay, let's try here. Um, And um, And
5: so true as well, what you say about trying to find common ground. Um, It can be so difficult, can't it, sometimes when you're talking with someone who has opposing views, but I always try and look at it from where they're coming from and try and understand how they've reached the point that they have. Mm Mhm. Empty goes
0: a long way, doesn't it? It does, <laughs> Not it, it way does. But, um, uh, yeah. Okay, let's see here. Ah, there we go. There we go. I'm, I'm finalizing my first poetic collection. Uh, oh, I've, I've been publishing uh, prose and short stories for a long time. Uh, I have two books out. And uh, because I felt that uh, short stories, they're, they're both easier for people to digest they make a smaller demand Um, but I also thought that they're treated more seriously you know poets have have to appreciate you know we're kind of relegated to this side door of literature you know so many people don't really take us seriously and you know when I raised that point with these poets I'd spoken to earlier today you know what did they think you know the oldest literature we have is poems, you know, the, the yeah, ancient folk yeah, stories, you know, the, and, and, and at the same time, while poetry seems to be uh, relegated, as they say, to a, to a minor role in today's literature, and yet on the other hand, it's it sports, fit games they use Mm. chanting and in military service they use chanting when they really want to draw power so to me you know the veil Mm. is off poetry is powerful stuff but and and, you know when I raised that question with these these folks from uh, poets from Eastern Europe they said well you know that means we have a freedom because we're not in this commercial box, because we're not, you know, they don't have expectations about us, that gives us a freedom, and I thought that was an interesting
5: point. Yeah, it absolutely does, you know, because as soon as you start trying to write to sell things, then it's not gonna be truthful. It comes back to what you are saying about truth, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, yeah, Whereas poets can be completely truthful.
0: Well, you know, when I was a young writer, As a child and young man, I used to think, you know, I have to write. I don't have a choice. You know, maybe I should look at, you know, what do people say about trying to be a successful writer? And I looked at a couple of these books and they basically said, you know, find a formula, you know, pick a popular genre, write to that genre. And I thought, you know what? My voice isn't that. I don't want to write about cars. I don't want to write about women. I don't want to write about detective stories. I don't want to write... That's not what I would need to write. My muse has its own agenda. And thank you so much. That's what I'm going to do. Okay. So this is a poem I'm reading for you. It's called Conservative and Liberal Mind. The divisions between what conservatives and liberals find are only as wide as the narrowest mind, and never so deep as to keep at bay the warrior's hand or the diplomat's play. These both, it seems, can hold quite dear, a mother's love, a baby's tear, and yet differ so on the country's steer. They both cherish and hope and hold to the breast a youngster's hope and elder's rest, yet with party and polity so contest the cherished dream, the path so grand will part these friends, confound the trends that each would nurture shared goals, split ends. Yet each holds his party dear to his heart and yet seems so to differ just in the art of who governs best would govern least and nourish health and wealth concede. They both despair of the moderate stare Those great gray mumblings wander and seem not to care unabashed unaware while quite gloriously passionately we play our part with our honor high and our rhetoric smart jousting up another hill with a will all toward the party's coffers thrilled with bannies we'll build a wall apart with a threadbare horror and the lawyer's art each with his plans each with his hopes and party thick in misanthrope mutters and marks the passing throng who seem not to notice not to belong to the party the team the banner the cure no pledges they're signing no pamphlets allure conservatives and liberals fine they're only as divergent as the narrowest minds they both cherish freedom they both really care they just see a different road over there one says laissez faire one says c'est la vie a mere mere mortal matter of vowels portentous difference of cadence They flail at ennui. Viva la difference, I'm wont to say. They've both been to barter for bread, same as me. One cherishes liberty just like the other, both warm to the fire and smile to the lover. While judges may judge and let its wrangle, they both stroke their spaniel and brush their daughter's tangle. Who do I hope to contend with this verse? That neither are wiser, both heir to the curse of time weighing heavy. The slipping sand hardly stays and we all light our candles and aim toward the day.
5: Oh, I love it. Excellent. (laughs) I think you really capture the the humanity of, you know, you've got those two sides that are opposed, but actually underneath, we all want the same, don't we? Yeah. Wonderful poem.
0: (laughs) My dear, would you share another one of yours?
5: Okay. Um... Right, I should do one from my book, um Blood and Water, which I've just had please um came in November from the seventh quarry. It's my first collection Water. um oh, I should do a poem from that now I'm just trying to decide which I think yes, I'll do my I wrote a poem about climate change um which uh, won an award from um, bread and Roses, the Bread and Roses spoken word. So I'll do that one. It's quite long, but... Uh, That's okay. It's called Tick, 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 it's called.
0: How appropriate.
5: Pressing their opaque bodies into crevices and slime, delicate legs and limbs captured forever in rock and a solid drip, drip, drip time. Tick, tick, tick to flash of steel blade earth to earth black diamond etched into the scars of those who dig 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 the sticky blood that pumps the heart of industry skeletal pit heads thrust and shovel thrust and shovel tick 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 Above the dust clouds gather to cough and splutter, smog and heat haze, daze and stagger, to the pickaxe shatter of rock and rubble, rust and tumble, grist and gravel, tips tick tick to the grime and greed of those who feed on the toil of others we cough out blood from tar stained lungs to line the satin pockets of those who never set foot down a mine what's theirs is theirs and the cash till jingle ka-ching, ka-ching ka-ching tick 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 and it's all going wrong the ice caps dripping their steady stream of despair as australian bushfires flare and governments making empty promises and delaying deadlines and time and time is running out and we shout and we shout but what do they care those who live their lives in ease and finery. Let's make the planet a refinery. Get cracking, start fracking. Who fracking cares when the water turns green? It's not our problem. We'll have moved on. Be gone. What's done is done. And the kids cough, cough, tar from cancerous lungs. Tick, tick, tick. Lily-livered, whale-fart-powered liberals telling us what to do. What do they know? What do they know? What I want to know is who will pay the bill. Who will pay the bill, eh? Tell me that. Tick, tick, tick. And it's rising. It's rising. It's rising. The tide is rising. And we're sinking. And we're sinking. And we're sinking. Tick, tick, tick. Somebody should have told us. Somebody should have warned us. Somebody should have done something pressing their opaque bodies into crevices and slime delicate legs and limbs captured forever in rock and a solid drip 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 of time beautiful thank you beautiful Some of that was um, inspired by Swansea's industrial past, because when I wrote it, I just visited um, the Swansea Museum, which had lots of displays about um, the industries that used to be here. And when you look at some of the illnesses that people used to suffer as a result of having worked in such polluted environments, um, so some of that is in the poem as well. Um, And obviously my concern about climate change, which is such a huge, huge issue, and yet it seems to keep being sidelined, doesn't it? I'm just hoping that things are slowly improving now and that we haven't missed the boat completely.
0: You know, uh, I I have been involved in environmental issues for a long time. Uh, There was a a wonderful American biologist named uh, Rachel Carson, who in the early 60s, raise the issue of pesticides in foods and my family happened to have been uh, let, let's say enlightened by her views so we ate organic and vitamins ever since I was a child and it's it's wonderful to see how popular organic and health food has gotten over the last few years it's, mm. it's very nice but Because I see how serious these issues are, I've been involved in environmental projects for a long time, and and a lot of my poetry (laughs) addresses this, and I I would like to share one more with you. Um, I I, I think you'll probably enjoy it. Uh, Let's see here. (laughs) <laughs> where I had uh, had lived in Florida, uh, Florida is a very very flat land and any place where there is uh, a high place uh, is, it stands out a lot it, it really uh, it really does and uh, the about the only place in South Florida where you'll see high land is where they have these great mountains of trash <laughs> and and they are, you know, just so saddening to anybody who cares about the environment. But uh, I, I wrote a poem about this one that was near uh, where I lived, and I had to drive by it all the time. And I just found it so appalling. Um, it's, I call this Up on Garbage Mountain. Up on Garbage Mountain along the Biscayne Bay although the seagulls stop for dinner they seldom fly away to seem a foul idea to build it up so high it's not too wise to leave all that garbage piling higher, faster wide mountainous high, strenuous glazes, heat hassle hazes, layers strumming summing, suns drumming heating, stuffed Surprise! trucks take dumps on hasty humps leak laughing pungent snares vapors drifting wafting lifting sifting through the air waves welling falling smelling up the air don't don't rush right up or drink the cup without a sealed tight mask to wear We don our yellow gloves there, our acid-tested boots, completely airtight overalls and air-conditioned suits, with special pressure steel-toed boots amid the gushing whoosh. The bugs are mighty strange there. We've quite a special strain. The chemicals they've hatched in "'resemble acid rain. (laughs) "'They carry mighty virus, "'sure a highly aggressive brood. "'But do not park your car nearby. "'They've acquired a taste for tires. "'Radials are good. "'The roaches that survive there "'have carborundum shells, "'and when they fly from place to place, "'falling, sparking trails are traced. "'The mud that moves, we call it, "'watching some crawl by.' Don't get any on your shoe, it'll eat right through you quick. And should you dare to poke it, it'll probably eat your stick. One thing you'll find amazing as it reaches crowd-limbed Olympic heights, there's one thing good that it can do, bring into a tourist's well-earned view a look at that strange and bloated large, a jersey and a garbage barge, ripe as homeless and as sad a sight as a garbage truck. Out of luck and gas, with a year's young load of your own waste, like the taste?
5: Oh, it's brilliant.
0: (laughs) Ah. Brilliant,
5: but also sad, isn't it?
0: Absolutely. And I have to admit, in very bad taste.
5: Oh, it's great. I love the descriptions of the the insects and creatures as well. hi. fi.
0: Well, thank you so much. Would you like to read one, one, my dear? I shall do. Um let see. Oh,
5: I'm just trying to find the right page.
0: I had it bookmarked and now the bookmarks fallen out. Oh, that's okay. I can fix it in the edit. <laughs> <laughs>
5: There we go. I'll do this one, I think. Um, This one is called In Praise of Weeds, um, because it ties in several of the things we've talked about. It ties in what I was saying about my childhood and being at home around nature, um, but also um, respecting weeds because they they are themselves and they, they don't conform. So this is In Praise of Weeds. How nice. I admire the persistence of weeds, the twist of root and curl of leaf that cracks through pavings and shatters rock, the riot of petal through monotone grey, the shout of shoot and sting of sap. I despise the regimented rows of obedient flowers in uniformed colours, stepping to the beat of the gardener. Their dead-headed stamens will bear the scars of servitude. When I die, I do not wish flowers on my grave, but weeds, wild and ragged. Let the brambles rip through my skin and run a tripwire for passing feet. Let their blossoms blast a blood-red warning, never to conform, never to stand in line.
0: Very nice, I absolutely love that one. That's Thank really you. cool. very cool I, I I feel exactly the same way. Um, I, I used to um, let all my yards grow grow up. I do I,
5: I, I love lawns that are just full of wild grass and flowers absolutely. springing up between things. That's my kind of gardening
0: well, <laughs> and it's funny we have just relocated from South Florida up into Tennessee. And a, a very nice neighbor with the best of intentions has come over and mowed the lawn several times. <laughs> and, and I wanted to say, you know, um, why don't you just let it grow a little a little bit? Oh, it's just for
5: the wildlife as well, isn't it? It's amazing.
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, we, we make up for that by feeding an awful lot of birds. Basket. That's good. Well, too. <laughs> Rebecca, thank you so much for joining me. It's been an absolute delight hearing you oh, and hearing, you. hearing you. your poems <laughs> and, and learning a little bit about you. I, I would love to have you back again sometime, okay? Well, that's um, Thanks, too. If, if you were going to say one thing to the listeners that that might just inspire them, to, to encourage them to write, what would you say?
5: I think I would say say um, that everybody is a poet because so many people I meet at poetry reading say oh I love your poems but I can't write poetry because I tried it at school and I couldn't and I just want to say if you have a voice you are a poet write your truth and people will want to hear it because everybody has things to say everybody has stories so go for it and write and don't care what anyone thinks. (laughs)
0: <laughs> bravo, bravo, bravo. That is marvelous. Thank you, Rebecca. Wow, it's, well, thank been you so it's been a delight. it a pleasure. Okay, talk to
5: you soon. Thank you. Bye bye. Well, as, well we as we wrap, wrap, up, it, wrap,
0: up, wrap today up today, morning, morning. Morning. you want to, you talk, want
5: to talk a little bit about, about, about what's
0: going about next week? week? Uh, yeah. Just sort, just sort, sort of, of highlight it
1: too? too. Mm-hmm. Well, a fresh voice. A very inspired choice from your part, and uh, for sure, um, a voice, an author whose evolution worth being followed, worth being observed during the next years. Um, it is to be observed her tendency, uh, her attraction for the fixed form, for the classical form, with the rhythm and the uh, rhymes. By the way, just in a short parenthesis, these fixed forms, these rhythmic forms of poetry, reminding the music, the reminding marches, are the most attractive for uh, for the militant poetry, for the one which is trying to codify into a rhythmic, mechanically rhythmic um, um, uh, structure. some ideas, some uh, some slogans, uh, if you want, uh, which uh, uh, some slog- uh, which could stimulate the idea of protest, of uh, of not of uh, disagreement, of uh, uh, of revolution. Uh, so it is quite a, uh, quite explainable that uh, almost all the poets, which uh, uh, practice practiceize um uh, militant poetry uh, have to do more or less or feel attracted by the uh, by the classical uh, poetry with uh, uh, marked by rhythm and uh, uh, by rhythm and rhyme uh, otherwise yes i completely agree with you a charming presence um and uh, and uh, an excellent voice uh, it is really interesting to uh it is really interesting to uh, to op- the way uh, she is going to uh to evolve she is going to uh change or not her style and uh, uh the thematic of uh, uh the thematic of her uh, of her uh poems it's so remarkable the way she's using um you know, the way, the way she's using interjections which today is uh, almost completely unactual. Nevertheless, she um, she proved she has she manages the art of integrating them into the modern con content of uh, poetry. Really, an excellent selection, an uh, excellent, um, a very good, uh, um, a very good um, idea to invite her in uh, uh, for this episode. Well, sir, we well, will, will
0: see you, see you next, next week when we when return, return to the forests and the cities of Eastern, of Eastern Europe, Europe for some for tremendous, tremendous poets. poets. And, and you, my you friend, are going to read Greece some of your work as well. well.
1: Okay? okay? Thank you very much. I'm looking forward to it as uh, we had excellent poets uh for, we have excellent poets for next week uh, which actually uh, are making for us familiar not only with their poetry but also to the art with the art of uh, translation thank
0: you, thank my, you brother, my brother, brother. travel safe. safe have, a good,
1: have a good evening thank you very much all the best there and good luck in everything uh, it was an honor and uh, uh, and uh, um, and uh, uh, I was happy and honored to uh, cooperate with you. Also to this episode. All the best, brother.
0: Thank you, Brian. thank you, my friend. Thank you, thank
4: you. Bye-bye. 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 Bye bye. Bye.